9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Go Plug Yourself. This week we have Christian Amé and Matthew Legault uh, joining us from Scorpion Masqué, uh, which is a board game publisher based out of Montreal. And uh, obviously that means we talk a lot about something that uh, a lot of people have been rediscovering during lockdown, which is, of course, board games. Uh, you should check out their website, scorpionmasqué.com, uh, to see their current lineup of games. And if any of them catch your eye, uh, I would really recommend, if you are capable of doing so, to maybe order them from a local game shop instead of maybe one of those uh, bigger online retailers because uh, as we talk about in this episode brick and mortar game stores are an important part of the business of board games so these stores need your support as well so uh, head to scopiomaske.com uh, take a look at the lineup of games uh, Chris my co-host on this one is already thinking about picking up the crypto uh, I played stay cool and had a lot of fun with it and there's also a couple of uh, family friendly games that they uh, talk about in the episode like uh, zombie teens and zombie kids evolution uh, which do sound like a lot of fun um, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and this is Go Plug Yourself with Matthew and Christian from Scorpio Masque. Two, one, hit it. Go plug yourself, you plugging mother plugger. Go plug yourself, you plugging mother plugger. Go plug yourself, you plugging mother plugger. Go plug yourself. All right, so welcome to a brand new episode of Go Plug Yourself. Chris, thank you so much for joining me and overcoming your technical uh, woes. Uh, I was telling our guests in the in the pre-interview here that this has been a longtime goal of mine on the show, which is to have a Montreal board game. Uh, I was about to say it, and it's not producers, it's publishers. A Montreal board game publisher on the show uh, for a really long time because deep in my heart of hearts, I'm a, a huge board game geek. And uh, one thing has always kind of have popped up or led to another. And we had comedians who had shows and musicians who had uh, shows and all that. And finally, uh, during the pandemic, I was like, hey, I love board games. I picked up a board game from a local uh, game shop that they said was also produced here in Montreal, or uh, and uh, here we are, where we have Scorpion Masque. Um, I, I, I now I'm going to mess this up. I guess are you the, the developers, publishers, producers? Like, what is, what is your title within Scorpion Masque? <laughs> we have Scorpion Masque here who makes games in Montreal, but now what are your what are your titles? We're America? all of the above. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a janitor. So my name is Christian. <laughs> I'm the founder of Scorpion Masqué and the Grand Puba of it. Grand Puba, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, for many years, I was the CEO and janitor of the Scorpion Masqué. <laughs> we are a team of six full-time employees to work in the company. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our job is to select games then um, develop them, uh, polish the rules, mm-hmm. give them, let's say, a form, so uh, a, a box size, a, a illustrations, uh, write the rules, make them produce in a factory, usually in Poland or China, and then market them to the public and in about 40 to 45 countries. Mm-hmm. And our most recent acquisition, <laughs> our most recent, recent colleague is Matthew, 
who is uh, our first uh, native English speaker in the team. So I'll let Matthew introduce himself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm the, uh, I'm the gaming handyman, uh, is my official title at the company. Uh, mm -hmm. I was brought in to, um, yeah, to be the sort of um, English language voice uh, for the company to uh, deal with the, uh, the reviewers, uh, help with uh, English language marketing, uh, and and that kind of thing, and then also do uh, help uh, help out with development. Um, uh, do a lot of translating is the is my main job. Translating rules, translating all the cards and the components in the game and stuff like that, and uh, also working yeah with those uh, all those international companies, sending them off the uh, the files that they need to translate into their own languages. So uh, and because all, we're a small team, tools too. I'm sorry. All the marketing tools that you uh, translate right. for other languages too. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, and because we're such a small team, we all have a lot of responsibilities. You know, we all do a, a little bit of everything. We have our main tasks, but then we all do all kinds of other stuff. But because my stuff is so varied, that's why I gave myself the title of gaming handyman. <laughs> and you gave yourself a raise too, and that was like, you're sort of like, guys, yeah, yeah. I'm the gaming handyman, and I deserve a raise. Yes, yes, I did. It was <laughs> nice. uh, it was a six figure raise. Um, I'm pretty happy with that, you know. <laughs> um, so then the other question I had, or I guess I could follow up just to, to contextualize this for the listeners. Um, you guys publish games, but then I've also seen, at least, at least Christian, I've seen your name on a box. So you also do develop some games in-house. Is that correct? So or... I'm the designer of a few games that we've published. Okay. Uh, so like Matthew said, we all do a little bit of everything. So I would say that every member of the team play test all games and give some tips or ideas on how to improve them. Okay. Uh, but usually, even if we do a lot of job, a lot of development on a game, uh, if the designer, the original idea come from someone else, we do not put ourselves on the box. So you will find Christian Lemay's name on box only if I'm the original creator or designer of the game. So, so that's yes, like, a, like, a, like a TV show, right? Like you have like a writer's room and a bunch of other people and then they say like created by, like, yes. you know, like when you're watching the credits, right? Like you're just sort of like, you don't think that that one guy did the entire show, well, <laughs> right. but he is the one who had the first idea. So he created. Well, that's it. I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't uh, really understand about the board game industry. And that's what makes it very different from say the video game industry, which is the board game industry works a lot more like the, uh, the book publishing industry. Okay, mm -hmm. so you'll have um, you'll have a, a a game designer who works on their own game at home. They get the idea, uh, they develop it themselves, they work on it, they make the prototype, they test it with their friends and family. They get it, you know, up to a stage where they think it's presentable. They make a nice prototype with all kinds of sort of um, you know s something that they think looks really good, and then they present it to uh, a publisher like uh, like Christian. They'll come up and they'll they'll either nowadays they have to do it by email and stuff, but I mean they'll come up to us in in uh, in conventions and things, and they will present us their game, sit down and they play it. If we decide that we want to take it or we decide we want to try it out, we take it on, we give it a go, and then we decide whether we want to publish it or not. And then at that point, like Christian said, that's when we do the development of the game, which is like a, an editor will take a book and ask the designer, or excuse me, ask the author to add things, take things out, polish it up. So, so just just so I understand, uh, there's the two two different types of games, I guess, that you guys have have publishing right now. Some of them, I guess, are like you said, 
designed in-house by like if, if Christian makes puts a game together, Scorpion Maske is kind of, I guess, involved start to finish. But then also if you're a game designer who pitches to you guys, you guys will take on the role of publisher, like you said, and kind of, I guess, uh, hammer out the the details of it, maybe workshop it, maybe do some more playtesting, the art, the box size, like you all that. So it's like there's the two... You, but you but you end up with a game at the end of the day, one way or the other. But it's just like so, sometimes the the initial idea happens in the Scopio Masque offices. Sometimes it'll be an outside, like you said, author or something who's sort of like pitching to you, right? That's right. And most of the game we publish do not come from my my mind. So I would say that only five or six out of the forty that we've published uh, comes from me. So Chris, um, what's your board game pitch then, bud? <laughs> risk, is, I... risk, but like in the Sopranos universe. Oh, <laughs> and, and I guess no. it's funny because I have a I have a buddy, and Keith knows him, uh, Tyler who, Lemko, who's a Montreal comic and pers- like personality online, whatever. He's a good dude, and he is actively trying to get a board game published. So he's talked to us a bit about what you were saying, Matthew, about how the process goes with getting. Mm-hmm a board game picked up. It's much like getting a pilot picked up for television. There's a lot of, you know, back to the drawing board, you know, back to, you know, reframing things, recalibrating things in the game, especially with a game. What's the worst pitch you've ever had? You don't have to name names. I I also like, Like, what's the worst serious pitch you've ever had where someone's like, I got a gem here. shit. Yeah. <laughs> While you guys think of it, I just when you guys mentioned conventions, I could only imagine just like someone just coming up to you and just being like, I have this perfect game. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> you're like, now I'm stuck here for the next hour or two playing this guy's insane game. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So one of, one of the worst I would say that comes to my mind is that guy who says, well, you know, you know, Monopoly, we can sell better. <laughs> I, am, I have improved the monopoly, so we'll do better in terms of sales. <laughs> Is that how we got that monopoly uh, world game where Montreal was the highest property on the board? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, You're I never st- had that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have that one. My mom routinely beats me in it. She, my mom only knows how to play Monopoly and uh, or like Battle of the Sexes. Those are the only two board games she knows how to play. So she's not really your target demo. But like, <laughs> does that happen a lot where guys come in and say we're going to beat Monopoly? Because that's a lot like going into, like I said, a writer's room or a pitch meeting and saying, I have a show that's going to be better than Friends. Friends, exactly. <laughs> Imagine exactly. Friends just with one more person. Who happens to be me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, oh, no. Yeah. Or just- we, I had the, this, uh, this guy who invented, developed a game to help you learn when you're a kid, uh, your calculation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said he was ready to uh, let his job out, to quit his job, to do this full-time. But this kind of game to learn calculation does not really sell well in most game stores, let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine there's, you know, like maybe like a teacher buys it <laughs> you know, like, like even if it's really good like a but couple you know, of teachers might buy it. Like, you know but like you know, I having, having said that like there are a lot of very 
famous game designers who have made very popular games that still have a day job. You know, mm-hmm. that's that they they don't make, you know, as much money as you would think on uh, the games they produce. Sometimes they're sort of flash in the pan. They'll they'll be very popular for a short while and then fade off very quickly and not have a long tail, which means that they don't, because much like a book publisher, uh, game designers get a royalty uh, fee for, uh, for for the games that they uh, that are that are produced. And uh, yeah, if the if the game doesn't have a long life, then they don't make that money. So um, a lot of designers who've done relatively well for themselves still have day jobs, still you know have ne- have never gone uh, full time into the game design. Uh, yeah, especially if you're I guess if you're talking about making it as on a royalty basis, where you're like this is I think why uh, like something I find that's very very different as as a. I, I don't necessarily say lifelong board gamer, but like probably like we like I remember as a, as a kid, we would always like obviously there was Monopoly and the uh, and Scrabble and, and all those sitting around. But like pretty early on uh, into like high school and stuff, we started getting into like me and my friends started getting into the Steve Jackson games, which at the time was kind of your first like they're games that are not crap. Yeah. <laughs> like like going back to that. Yeah, exactly. We played Card Wars. Uh, we played Illuminati. We played. Uh, awesome. I can't. I can't remember. Even remember all of them. But as soon as you like started getting into those uh, into those games, when you mentioned that you're like as an author and you're picking up royalties, you're like, yeah, a lot of those games had like maybe a couple print runs, and then they would yeah. move on to the next thing, right? So you'd be like, oh, if you didn't get it on the first, maybe second printing, and the store was out of it, you're like, oh yeah, that game's just not coming back ever again and, and so this, like that guy is unless he another game, he's he's not getting paid anymore like whoever whoever designed it and i think you see that now i find in a lot of modern games not to not to diminish it because it's like following the video game model and, and everything else you see expansions right like like so many board games now i think to your point matthew are extending that life cycle by and not to say that the core game is incomplete it's a good core game but now you're like here's an expansion here's an expansion like fantasy flight I don't think they've run a game without an expansion in like 10 years, you know, like, like that's yeah. part of their business model is big box and small box expansions. You're absolutely right. But this change in the very last year, so maybe a, two years ago, um, I would say the, or maybe one or two years ago, the expansion era faded and mm-hmm. it really quickly and yeah. now publishers, uh, because because now there are so many releases on the market, many thousand each year, mm-hmm. um, that your game, there are great chances that you, you buy it um, and you play it a few times and you never play it again. Mm-hmm. So there's a much less chance that you buy an expansion and the publishers understood this quickly. Mm-hmm. So now when we have a, a game that is a great license that is selling well, we will publish instead of expansion, um, standalone or uh, maybe standalone expansion or spin-off, but not mm-hmm. really expansion that you absolutely need the core game because uh, that era that you described what was really strong, let's say, in the past 20 years, except in the very last years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can I, I can see that, and I mean I think that that happens to everyone. Like I think the like just my gaming group, we went all in on uh, on our on the the second edition of Arkham Horror. Like we literally had every big box, every small box expansion, 
it now is carried around in a in a giant plastic case of, that it, like that you need like a car to move. Yeah. Uh, that costs you about four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> we just, I mean, like we like it's it sounds like a lot, but I, like we were six or seven people who kind of like chipped in on the board game and all the expansions. So you buy them like, over the years as well. Yeah, exactly. We kind of came them as as they're getting released, but then there is a certain point where a it's just you want to play another game. Right. <laughs> and you're like, and B, I find that you're, you're always like a lot like video games where not to say the new stuff is always better, but I think that you guys as an industry are learning and, and getting better. And so like, a, you're going to see new ideas and you're going to see new game mechanics and you're going to see. Mm-hmm. So like the new stuff isn't necessarily automatically better, but it's, a, it's, I find nowadays, like it's at least new, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So there's like, it's, it's, you're not necessarily going to lock in and play that one game every time you get together with your gaming group, you know? so For sure. And I also think that this move away from expansions has probably meant that we're getting better games on the market because I I got this strong feeling that um, certain games had elements sort of held back from them when they were yeah. released so that they could add them in an expansion. You know, that would be like, trash. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely would not be shocked because, like I said, I, 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 I know a little bit more about video game development than I would from board game development. But they do it in video games all the time, like to the point where there was like a class action suit a couple of years ago against, I think, EA or whatever out in Europe, where they were they basically were arguing that they released a game that that was not complete until there was an expansion that was released on it or whatever. Like, like you know where they were like, this well, game is actually yeah. not finished and you're selling the end of the game as DLC like, as DLC. Exactly. That's it. So yeah, that, that, and I, like I said, I think anyone's gonna, gonna look to, to make a buck. I don't know. We were talking about this before the, the show started. My wife and I've been playing a ton of root and that was, that one does have a lot of expansions. I think they're, they've announced there's working on another one. And I think they said there's going to be one or two more counting the the clockwork expansion. But that was, I think, kind of interesting because the way that they went about their expansions, first of all, was that they didn't, they added factions to a game. The core game still played well. Like, you know what I mean? Like they they, they never changed the rules to the game or added anything. And then also I thought it was kind of interesting that the way that they went about it, at least, is they extensively play test within the community. Like you can go right now on Tabletop Simulator today and play with their like expansions that are work in progress. So they've kind of crossed over play testing with community engagement, which yeah. I think a lot of people respond to really, really well because they're like, oh, I'm I'm playing the the new thing. So it's like it's you're talking to the devs about the game that you're playing and you're trying the new thing. So I think that that kind of works. So everybody gets like they're good at hyping up their their expansions and at the same time you can still go back and play the original game without any of the expansions and it doesn't feel like less than yeah. like you need the expansion and the bolt-ons i guess to to go for it um was there ever so i was going to ask was there ever a thought that maybe expansions were doing more harm than good to the industry as at large Is that a stupid question to ask well <laughs> There's a very well-known European distributors that uh, that two two years ago realized that they had way too many expansions that were not selling in their warehouses. So mm-hmm. there was this directive from to their branch in many countries to stop buying expansion in 
in almost all cases. So uh, I think it hurt mostly the distributors and the publishers who were stuck with unsold um, expansion. Yeah. I, but I, I, I'm not sure that was your question. Did it? Well, I'm I'm saying at what point because it looks like it's pivoted back, right? In terms of what what. Because buying board games and buying video games are always going to be two different things. So it's never going to mm-hmm. be the same. Um, and there's a lot more time and, and energy that you need to commit to playing a board game as opposed to turning on your Xbox. So I'm wondering when video games went the way of like everything needs to be added through an extra purchase, or was publishers of board games you know, trying to copy that method and then realize that it was a bad move? Or was it always like separate? Well, I think that, uh, you know, uh, often if you have a game that works well, you want to give it legs, right? You want to try to encourage people to enjoy it and, and to con- continue to make it fresh, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that, that that was the original idea behind an expansion, right? It was just to, to give a little extra for, for people who enjoyed the game, enjoyed the mechanisms. Uh, but, you know, after playing any game, you know, X number of times, it gets a little bit stale. So the idea behind, you know, expansions was, you know, it was, it was pretty pure. It was, it was based in that. But then, of course, there are a number of expansions that didn't make games better. You know, they added mechanisms, uh, they added uh, extra elements to the game that either made you feel like you were losing the original feel of the game, the, the, the element of the game that you really enjoyed perhaps disappeared because it was taken over by these new mechanisms, or, you know, uh, it just became too complicated. Sometimes expansions add extra time to the game where a game that would have lasted 45 minutes now lasts an hour and a half. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a risky, it's a risky uh, endeavor. And I'm, I'm glad to see that people are sort of moving away from that because I think a lot of those mechanisms that are added to existing games can probably be used to create new and interesting games instead, which I think would be a much more, uh, a much more uh, fertile ground to, uh, to explore. I was just thinking, I mean, I don't want to, if, if it was that what Christian was uh, talking, I don't want to call it out, but the, the one that always stuck out to me is having, having way too many expansions, especially considering that like the core game is like one of the best sellers was Catan. Like where you're just like, there's Catan and you're like, everyone's like, not everyone, but a lot of even casual gamers are like, Catan's a lot of fun. You're like, Hey, do you know there's 20 expansions? And you're like, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what? And you're like, are they anything like the core game? And you're like, a lot of them, not really. Like, you're, like they add like such yeah. like disparate elements into the game. To your point, Matthew, you probably haven't like a couple other games hidden somewhere in the Catan expansions that are completely different games that could have been released under their own banner, you know. But well, yeah, they have they have uh, um, uh, campaign. They have campaigns in Catan. Like there's a there's a uh, there's a campaign scenario called I think it's called the Legend of the Sea Robbers. That is a campaign scenario that you add to the Seafarers expansion. So you have Catan, <laughs> and you have to buy the Seafarers expansion, and then to that you can buy another thing, which is a, a series of games that create a campaign within the Seafarers expansion of Catan. That's that's not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's insanity. I'm, and, I'm, and I would say to 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 add to what Matthew said is that um, when when we play a, um, a game and there's a new player to the table or a player that never played that game, I never play with the expansion because yeah. 
when it's your first time you play a game, it's always it's always a better experience if you play with just a core game. Mm-hmm. So with the number of new releases and the number of games we buy, it happens more and more often that there's always someone new to the table or for this game. So we don't have the occasion to play with expansions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that hurt the expansion market. Mm-hmm. I, I can think of, I can, I'm, just like off the top of my head, I have like a number of board games where I'm like, even the one I think that sticks out the most was uh, Battlestar Galactica, which like we loved the core game, despite the fact that it has like a completely unreasonable runtime from time to time. Uh, but that there was a, an expansion of it, like of a second ship that uh, someone bought. And then we like t- took the characters and we used the characters on the base game, but then never used the second ship. Like we just like read the rules and we're like, Oh, you're adding too much to the the who's the Cylon gameplay, which oh is God, where the fun crazy. is. Yeah, there's like it, it's a big box expansion. It's like a second board that you're supposed to have like lined up next to Galactica. <laughs> like it's 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 an insane expansion because yeah. and you're like, oh, you just added a lot of gameplay elements to something that had a pretty strong core, and it was like like literally the my buddy bought it read through the rules was like no 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 this is not fun we can just play with the characters if we want and that's all we ever did from the expansion so looking at your guys's uh catalog to to just talk about some of your games Mm -hmm. uh you're saying that like i see a couple of sequels and then i see a lot of standalone stuff so if you're buying a scorpion mask game it looks like a lot of them are like they're fully contained experiences in one box we made one expansion oh yeah, uh, laser drive to the crypto and unfortunately it was not it was not uh, it did not sell well sell well mm-hmm. so uh we learned our lesson our lesson yeah it's a great expansion though i think it really adds something fun to the game and uh one of the ways that we created it was that we kind of took ideas that were already existing like because people do house rules all the time mm-hmm. you, know, you know what house rules are Right. House rules are basically rules that you add to the game, you know, within your own game group to to spice it up a little bit or make it a little bit more fun. The famous one, of course, is the two hundred dollars on on free parking in uh, in Monopoly that everyone thinks is a real rule, but is just a house rule and is a terrible rule because it makes the game last forever because everybody's (laughs) just got endless money. Um, But uh, yeah, so we took this this little house rule where when people played Decrypto they often did this thing where they tried to like make their, make their clues sort of tied in with each other, make their clues sort of thematic. And mm-hmm. we turned that into uh, into the expansion. And I think it really adds something to the game, but yeah, it didn't get the, uh, the kind of leverage that we were hoping, but it's out there for people who are interested. And it's, a, it's that is, if it's out there, I guess you'd have to find it at a shop at this point, or is it like no longer yeah. oh, no. available? It's available. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just wondering, I was like, cause we, we, we talked about printings and stuff, right? Where you're just sort of like, oh, like we didn't do a second printing on it. But if you we can find it. have a few store. to sell, in fact. <laughs> There's still a few, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you enjoyed Decrypto, which looks like a fun game on its own. Uh, there's an expansion that you should buy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say. What's the, what's the crypto? So the crypto is the unpitchable game. <laughs> Master, please help me. So it plays in teams. Mm-hmm. Um, your goal is to send information to your teammate without the opposite team understanding that information. 
So when you give your clues to your teammate, you have to be clear enough so your teammate understands you and vague enough so that the opposite team does not understand you. And yeah. from now, I will stop because the, the rest of the game is you have to play it. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah. I can play with my aunt. I can play with anyone, but it's just... See here, so I thought. See here, I thought it was just a, an elaborate scheme to buy more Dogecoin uh, stock, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with cryptocurrency. Somehow, see, you so. know, I thought we were shorting. We were shorting another board game company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call Reddit. We can make it happen. Uh, yes, <laughs> let's make it work. No, yeah, it's a, it, but it's a word game. So you've got four words in front of you, and you have fun, to try man. to. Uh, yeah, you've got uh, you, your team sits on the same side. You all see the same words, and uh, basically, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give a quick rundown. You get a little code card, like one, like you have you have four words: one, two, three, four, and you got a code card that you draw off the top of a deck. So let's say it's one, two, four is is my code. I'm the encryptor. Okay, so I look at words one, two, and four, and then I have to write down. Um, hints, right? I have to write down words that will make my team guess one, two, and four. Okay. So let's say I play with Matthew. Mm-hmm. He draw the code uh, one, two, four. So we got to make sure that I say one, two, four. Mm-hmm. And to make me say these numbers, he will associate them with clues with the, with the word number one, the word linked to number two, and the word linked to number four. Yeah, so let's say word number one is snow, Uh, word number uh, two is uh, uh, green, and word number four is birthday, right? So I might write flake, uh, for green I might grass, and then for birthday I might write party. So I would say, um, what was the first one, white? Uh, uh, White, uh, yeah, uh, write grass, or flake, yes, flake, grass, and party. And I would hope that he would associate flake with snow, grass with uh, green, and party with birthday. So he would say one, two, four. And there would be a third word in there. Let's say it's, uh, I don't know, potato. Um, Meanwhile, I'm writing down flake, grass, and party to try to figure out what your, even though I can't see your code words, I'm trying to figure that out as the opposing team. Exactly. Given uh, Given the level of sophistication that it takes to play this game, it already sounds like a game I really want to buy. Uh, how fucking pissed are you that Cards Against Humanity is as popular as it is? <laughs> like, do you guys ever sit around? Do you guys ever sit around a Zoom call and being like, "Who are these fucks? How yeah. they create this game that people just answer cocks to all day and call it comedy? Yeah, made exactly. millions. We we have we have uh, like one hour yeah, just focused on that. Uh, no, I know you don't, but like, if you want to, every, call me in. I can moderate them. <laughs> every every game developer uh, on the planet spent like a solid year screaming after the Cards Against Humanity. I think guy. some people killed themselves over that. <laughs> I think some people were like, "Fuck this!" So. <laughs> some guys who so. have been doing this for thirty years, and some fucking loser comes. It's like I have a game. It's we're gonna put a bunch of shitty jokes on a card. And yeah. then people are going to make their own shitty jokes. Billion dollars. <laughs> this is yeah. why this is why comedy breeds resentment, Keith. <laughs> the half-assed yeah. success of others is infuriating. Well, everyone thinks That's they're right. a fucking genius. Well, that's, it's, 
That's the thing about that's the thing about cards, humanity, cards Against Humanity, right? It makes you it makes you feel funny, even though there's just there's somebody else's jokes, like yeah, but like Matthew, operation doesn't make me feel like a fucking doctor, you know? Like <laughs> you know, I know I'm playing a game. These people think they're legitimately funny. It's a problem. Anyway. Yeah. I, have a, I have a legit question, Chris. Has anyone ever ever gone to an open mic uh, and been like, I'm really good at cards against humanity, I'd like some time? <laughs> not 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 cards against humanity, but there has been people who've come to a mic. And you could tell they're nervous. It's their first time, and they go up, and it's just a bunch of Reddit jokes. And you're like, uh, "This is no. not. This <laughs> is this is the same thing as like, you know, you're going into a lawyer's office, and we're like, I'm gonna be a lawyer. Why is that? Because I just watched The Firm. Right. <laughs> exactly. I'd actually like to see that as a stand-up routine. Somebody going up with like Cards Against Humanity cards and just like reading really crappy, shitty like Cards Against Humanity jokes and being like depressed and like just throwing them, dropping them down on the stage and just pl- playing the sad sack. I think that'd be this, pretty good. This killed at the table last night. <laughs> this, ki- this killed at Grandma's the other night. She was What's already in bed. People? What is like, wrong with you people? <laughs> I said the best thing about going to the mall is the farts. Why are you not understanding Hello? the words that come out of my mouth? Uh, what's what's uh, the what's the game that you guys have right now that you're most excited about? Is it Decrypto or is there another game that we don't know about yet or is not not even hit the market yet that's coming that you're like you're really juiced about that you're actually having the Zoom meetings about? Well, I think that Amongst the um, the forty game we've published, uh, the crypto is the only one that I still play only for fun because okay. this is kind of a job. I, I know that many people don't understand this, but this is a real job with re- real pressure, <laughs> difficult discussions and decisions. And we play tests and develop this game hundreds. We play them hundreds of time, and I pitch them thousands of time, and I get maybe bored because you cannot do this for a year and a half and not at some point be a little bit bored. Yeah. But crypto is a game that I still enjoy playing just for fun when I have friends. So I'm not saying that the other games are not good because I'm a bit bored about them, but because I've played them too many times. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was telling the guys before uh, we pressed record the the Scopio Masque game that I picked up or that I got over the holidays was Stay Cool, yeah. uh, which is a lot of fun and mm. it's a really good party game. Basically, Chris, the the deal is you need to kind of like answer trivia questions rapid fire while you answer like another trivia question by spelling it out on the die, and you're in charge of keeping track of your own time. So the idea is basically to to fuck up, like yeah. just sensory yeah. sensory overload. Yeah. And and it's a lot of fun, but to to Christian's point, I mean, there's only so many cards in the deck. Like you've heard all the clues if you play testing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like like there's a certain moment of where you're like, I know all the cards by heart. Imagine you, you you wrote them and you edited them maybe twenty times and you pitched them yeah. a really. 200 or 300 times and you demoed it 400 <laughs> times and you've played 200 games at yeah. some point you would like to do something else in your free time yeah <laughs> no no you, you you mean to tell me that every waking moment of the day you're not in, just loving playing video game board games <laughs> yeah but not ours not yours <laughs> you know it's funny though because i know some video game some guys who work for ubisoft and they're like like Sometimes 
dumb people ask the most annoying questions. Like mm-hmm. we'll we'll get it in comedy too. But like these guys over for Ubisoft, and it's like you must be playing video games all day. That must be awesome. And it's like, nah, man, this is my fucking oh, job. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this is work. I have. Yeah. The people who actually play video games all day are the the quality testers, and they're the ones that just have to like walk and jump and walk and jump and walk and jump and walk and jump just to make sure that the character doesn't fall through the floor at some stage. You know, yeah. like it's just you don't want that job, man. <laughs> <laughs> or even like you, you, like Christian just said, like quality control of going through every card over mm-hmm. and over again to make something as basic. I'm, I'm assuming here, as there's no spelling mistakes on the card or no typos. Yeah. No, like that, that, that could take tedious yeah, amounts of hours. Print, right? Yeah. Like before you send it to print, you want to catch all your typos. That's fun. That's a fun part of the job. Did you, did you <laughs> see the number of cards in uh, Stay Cool, Keith? I did. Yeah, there are 1,500 questions in that game. Oh, my game. God. My heart, I had just, trans- my heart just... Yeah, <laughs> I had to translate them all, and then we had to go back over them to make sure that the questions were always asked in the same kind of way. So this type of question should always be asked like this with these commas in these places, and this question should always be asked in this order with the... Oh, it's just like... Insane. So when there's so when, when there's like a... So if you play Stay Cool, you know that sometimes the cards hit you with like wicked curveballs that yeah. you're just... I don't even know what to... It's your fault. <laughs> Is what we're saying. So it's yeah. Matthew. If you're playing it in English, it's Matthew who's doing the translation. If a question comes at you and you're like, "I have no idea what to do," I'm completely yeah. stumped. It's Matthew. No, oh, yeah, that's it. But it, it, it was it was originally developed by the the rest of the team. But I I, I had my own uh, my own input there. But yeah, for sure. But the thing I love about Stay Cool is like you know, you know what uh, what does. Uh, what do the digits in uh, 3,742 add up to? And you're doing that. And then the next question is, you know, what's uh, the one regret in your life? <laughs> exactly. Just back, just back to back. And you're whoa, like, what? Name tree trees, but not maple or oak and... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's those personal questions, though, that get you because you're like, "What is my greatest regret?" <laughs> while, <laughs> while you're trying to spell the word "ball" with dice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and pay attention to the timer. Our uh, um, the my well friend of mine. I was going to say my friend's wife, but she's my friend as well. Uh, is like, is she's a like we've only played it a handful of times with her, but like she's obsessed with the idea of somehow like mastering the skill of playing stay cool and not like. The rest of us just like embrace the insanity and try to get a decent score. Like, and, and we're all having fun. She's like, no, I can do this. And yeah. I was like, I was like, what in what world do you ever like this is I've not a marketable like skill? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you can't go and put this on your resume that you're really good at like answering some <laughs> trivia while spelling out words. I was like, like, it's cool when you do well. Like I everybody like enjoys getting a pretty good score, but like she gets like incredibly competitive and just dialed in and and like I love it mad at herself if she misses to flip the timer or whatever i love it that's amazing i actually was at a convention in uh, philadelphia in uh, december of last year not not 2020 nothing happened in 2020 uh, <laughs> it was in uh, the end of uh, 2019 and i was playing stay cool uh, with a whole bunch of different people reviewers and uh, members of the public and stuff and great laugh great time and then i sat down with this one reviewer a fellow called eric who does a, a great uh, blog called what's eric playing and uh, he, it was great because everybody was sitting around. Everybody had tried out the game and everybody was laughing and just like, you know, laughing at themselves. It was so crazy. And then he sat down and he was a robot. He, 
he, he like I think he got a perfect score. I think he got just running the table. Like, yeah, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 and everyone's smiles sort of like froze on their faces, and they were just like, "Oh my god, look at this guy!" <laughs> and then, then yeah, and I mean, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head right there. Is that was the day you learned out that Eric was a robot, exactly, and, and not a human. <laughs> but he'll be back. But exactly. <laughs> But like Christian has always said, uh, the great thing about Stay Cool is that it's it's as much fun to watch as it is to play. Because mm-hmm. just watching people melt down, watching people just seize up. Like I remember uh, uh, our uh, our creative director at Scorpion Masque, Manuel, really, really clever guy, really uh, artistic, really, really great uh, logical thinker. And you sit him down and Stay Cool and he just seizes up. He just like... <laughs> Uh, 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 too much information going on. I love it just to see different people's uh, reactions to that game. Chris, when we can when we can socialize again, buddy, you're gonna you're gonna come over. You're gonna play this game, and you're gonna possibly flip my table yeah. while you're while you're playing it. Yeah, you're gonna lose your shit. I can tell. I mean, see it now. Well, you know, Matthew, I present the <laughs> clear and <laughs> obvious statement like... that getting... you made. <laughs> You're losing your shit just thinking about it right now, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go a little antsy, you know? Um, so I had a couple more, a couple questions. One, uh, you guys have kind of kind of been touching on this, saying that uh, there aren't a lot of day jobs in uh, in, in producing uh, uh, publishing. Oh, no. And, okay. In making board games, there's not a lot of uh, day jobs. You guys are obviously on the publishing side, so that can translate into a day job. But at what point in time do you decide that you're going to go all in? And I guess, I guess in Christian, stop being a janitor and, uh, <laughs> and, and say, you know what? Okay. Like I, I, I've, I have the resources necessary. I have the, the people necessary. And like I said, and even then you are going in as a publisher, not, mm-hmm. not exclusively as a game designer, but at what, how does, how does that work for both of you when you're like, I'm going to make, Board games, my living. Yeah, Seems well, like a good job. A lot of people think about. Yeah, <laughs> Christian's origin story is great. I love it. So I was a, I was supposed to be an engineer, but I didn't like science. I was good at it, but at the CGEP, but I didn't enjoy. So I end up doing literature. My father, my father was not really happy, but after a master degree, I got a job by uh, in teaching in CGEP teaching literature. And after three years of teaching, I said, wow, this is cool, but I would enjoy much more publishing games. So (laughs) in September 2006, I founded Scorpion Masqué. And for two years, I was a full-time teacher and a part-time game publisher by night and weekends. And after two years, this thing, Scorpion Masqué, was big enough uh, to make a living out of it. So I quit uh, teaching in 2008. And It was because of your big game, right? It was because of Stegashke. Yes. So the first game we released, Stegashke, which was called I Betcha in English, but it was not a success, unfortunately, in English, but in French and German and... Well, well, mostly in French and German, we sold 450,000 copies of Stegashke. Yeah. Not 
being sell, sold in English and not in chains, not in Walmart, nothing like this. Only in independent book and game stores. This is extraordinary. This is fantastic. This is Un unheard of. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, to give you to give you some examples. So very well known board game that your listeners may know. Um, Seven Wonders. You, maybe yeah. you know that game. Yeah, I have Seven Wonders. Wonders and Duel. So mm -hmm. I have it twice. This is a huge success for, for the past 10 years. It has been in all the best-selling lists of game. And it sold a million copies, which is only and only two times what we did with Tagashka. But mm -hmm. uh, there's been a thousand more reviews and uh, blog po posts and videos about Seven Wonders than Tagashka. So what happened to me was... Uh, unexpected, really. And this success allowed me to quit my day job and to be a full-time publisher. Is that... And, sorry, yes. I, I'm just wondering if you're like looking at something like Seven Wonders and and then this is, this is going to be me, uh, I guess, being ignorant of the other languages internet, but is it because uh, potentially that there isn't the same like amount of bloggers, same amount of reviewers? Because if you're doing really well in Germany and France... And I guess in here locally, you know, like there aren't the, at least that I know of, like the YouTube channels don't have 10 million subscribers that are maybe reviewing it and stuff. So it might just be that like, even though you were doing really good numbers, like you said, you didn't have the media coverage of it because it wasn't killing in English. Was that like... Yeah, because it, was also, it was also 2006, right? Mm -hmm. I guess. So there wasn't the same kind of focus on the board game industry back in those days. And mm -hmm. it's also a party game. And that's a big difference, right? It meant that it spread like wildfire. Right? Yeah, you go, to, you go to a party, you play it, 10 people have fun, and then 10 more copies sell. But, but, right? the, but the beauty of Stegajke, right? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the, what, what the game that, uh, that Christian invented was, is that it's a game. It's, a, it, it's like it's the party game because you play it at a party. So you stand at the door, and as your guests arrive, you give them a card. And each card has three challenges on it. And you have to do these challenges during the party. Like you mm -hmm. give like three or four hours before you like blow the whistle and say, okay, game's over. Um, but you have your challenges and everybody has this, uh, these three secret challenges that they have to do. One of them could be like stand on one foot for 20 seconds. One of them could be, uh, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, use the word uh, um, vibrator in a sentence or something like that, whatever. And they have to try to do these things during the party without other people saying like, wait a second, is this for the game? Is this for, is this, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And this way everybody plays the game, but they only ever see their own challenges. They have this fun experience at a party and then they go and they buy it from themselves and they're like, Oh my God, I have to invite people over to my place and play this game. Mm -hmm. So at one point, everybody, every other person in Quebec owned this game. Like we owned it. <laughs> We owned yeah. it like in 2008, I think we had. Know, and, and that's like, it's crazy to me that, uh, like I said, being being a pretty avid avid board gamer and, and geek and whatever else, and, and living in Montreal, but being an Anglophone, um, like I'm hearing about this for the first time. Like that that like blows my mind. Yeah. Just in terms of like the, the divide. That's what I'm saying. I was like, it's, just, it's, it's crazy that it didn't pick up in English and that, like this was happening at, I guess, like probably my neighbor's house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> I, have totally, I have a totally unsubstantiated 
theory as to why that is. Uh, okay. Quebec loves their own. Quebec loves their own. We especially the, the French French Quebec really loves their own. They support it uh, mm-hmm. through thick and thin. But you know, much like Guillaume La Tendresse, uh, doesn't transfer over to the English side. <laughs> Not a knock on the game. It was just a cheap joke to Guillaume Latendres. <laughs> it's all right. Well, uh, and there's a bit also in the just the fact it is a party game. Most board game reviewers won't talk about it because the audience of board game geek and the the, the people who are passionate gamers often overlook party games because they prefer more strategic game, thoughtful games. And so this is why they won't watch YouTube reviews of party mm-hmm. games because if you take any YouTube channel and you compare uh, reviews of party game and strategy game. Party games will do always less views. So reviewers and YouTubers will tend to do less reviews of party games because they need the views to live up. And so it's better for them to review a strategic strategic game rather than a party game. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a vicious circle. Yeah, I think, I think that is um, like very telling, I feel, in a lot of like, not just not just geek culture but like a lot of like a lot of different parts of, of culture like we always joke about it on on the other show like we, we were i like really good movies but i also like really bad horror films you know what i mean and we're and you're sort of like oh you had a good time watching like a slasher flick i, don't, I say bad horror film that doesn't even fair to the horror film you have a really good time watching a slasher flick and someone's like why did you waste your time watching a slasher flick and you're like because like there is a there's a lot of fun to be had there when you're mm-hmm. when you're talking about I'm um, gonna massacre the like you're talking about a game that essentially has like the like it's a concept and you explained it to me in two seconds so you're like what where do you break apart the strategy you know and it's just sort of like oh the strategy is to maybe do it when no one's looking at you and you're like that's not something you can like dissect into the minutia whatever it's a social mm-hmm. It's a social strategy that you're going to be sitting there at the party trying to pull off these little tricks. Mm-hmm. There's no like, let's deep dive into a 20 page analysis of the, the <laughs> build and whatever on how to stand on a foot in the corner. You know, like there's, and I find, I find that that happens a lot. Like we, we've gone to a couple of conventions and stuff where you find out that like the thing that you're into, some people are into too much. <laughs> you know and you're like oh you're like oh i'm not on that level i'm really like I, I i like playing this game and i don't need to figure out the ideal strategy from it i can still play it have fun with it and do whatever and then if i take a look at a game like uh like a twilight imperium or something i can be like i don't have time for that in my life not that it's bad it's just i can look at it and give the eyeball and people are like oh you're not a serious gamer because you don't want to play twilight imperium but i'm like no, I just don't have six hours of my time to play the, my first round of yeah. it. You know, like Chris, just in case you don't know, Twilight Imperium is essentially a board game space opera that lasts about six to perhaps eight hours. Yeah, I thought we were yeah. going to check in with uh, with Bella, Edward, and the whole crew. So this <laughs> that's right. I thought it was a Twilight thing. That'd be yeah hey, hey, listen guys uh elevator pitch twilight imperium but it's twilight I w- i'm still oh. on my risk in a oh, sopranos man. universe <laughs> who would we talk to about this i think, I think it would do very well 
I think Christian was too polite to say that that was the worst pitch he'd ever heard. Oh, no. no. <laughs> There's got to be worse pitches than that. <laughs> I can't be the worst. You could have, like, you could split it off. You could split New Jersey into six territories. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, what, yeah, was, is it, was that Long Island would be Australia? Is that the idea? No, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm gonna work out the kinks, Matthew, and okay, good. I'll send you over the specs, and we'll go from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck you, out of curiosity, Chris. You're not. You're like you said. You mentioned Monopoly and Battle of the Sexes and Risk. Is that is that it for you? For your your game? I have actual scars on my hand that are like 15 years old because of Risk. My mom won't allow us to play it anymore. We used to get heavy into the risk and it become like really personal and like really uh, we have, but no, we have a bunch of board games. I, I, I enjoy, I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian. I enjoy the games that I could get to use those skills, but there's also like games like ticket to ride or uh, yeah. Like these stop these like market, like the, what's the other one? There's something about dividends. Anyways, these games that like you have no idea what the stock market is, but all of a sudden you're like you know playing the market on a board game. Um, yeah. There's a Quelf that we played Quelf over the holidays. Okay. Uh, Quelf is really fun because it's like it's like a bunch of scenarios. Uh, and now thinking about how many how much work you guys do putting in putting these games into production, a lot of a lot of cards in that game, Matt. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I mean, what else? Monopoly is a favorite because it's just such a nostalgic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we have a lot of board games in the house. The fun, the, the most fun games I've 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 enjoyed are the ones that you could easily play with like four to six people, and it's like it's yeah. it's not so much strategy as much as you're like you're able to have a good time. And, this is the kind of game that we, we usually publish. We have two kind of games, uh, mostly uh, one line with kid games and one line of party slash communication games. So the crypto, stay cool, and master words, our latest release, would fit that category. Yeah, crypto. So the crypto is a game I'm legitimately going to look into buying. That sounds yeah, like no, a lot of fun. Good. Master Word is uh, the one, one that we came out with last year. And that's a. Um, remember that old game, Mastermind? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, where you're trying to guess the the code cut, you know, the the order of colors in the code, and you know, the you're... most most exciting box art in the the blandest game. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like the box art had a serious guy on it, and like yeah, there's all the like... girl standing behind him. I, I read an article about uh, that girl, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. On the yeah. mastermind box art, girl. The mastermind box, exactly. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't remember her name, but uh, yeah, very uh, very interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, she became like a cult figure because of then, the, uh, <laughs> the of that box. And then you yeah, then you open it up and you just sort of put your pegs in four colors and then slowly guess. And eventually, you're just throwing <laughs> the things at your little sister, you know, like exactly. stop throwing them at me. But uh, yeah, the um, but this is Master Word is a little bit like Mastermind in the sense that um, it's a deduction game. So you'll it's 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 like twenty questions meets Mastermind, I suppose, in the in the absolute simplest sense where you end up with a, a starting clue, which could be like animal, okay? And then you have one person who is the guide, and then everybody else are called the seekers, okay? And the seekers have uh, white cards with uh, dry erase markers. So you start off with animal as your clue. So 
the 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 um the yes, guide. You're you're the guide, and we all are the seekers. All right, yes. right. So I would have animal, and I would say, okay, go, and I start a ninety second timer, and the three of you now have to discuss amongst yourselves what words you want to write down, each of you on your cards, to try to sort of start narrowing down your scope. Okay, what things can an animal have? So I, I could write maybe uh, four paws. Mm -hmm. And you could write mammal and someone could write uh, aquatic animal. And do we know Do we know what the other person's writing or is that like... Yeah, yeah, you talk amongst yourselves because it's a okay. cooperative game. This is okay. it. It's a cooperative game. We're all working together, including me as the guide, right? Mm -hmm. I want to try to help you guys guess the word that I know, the master word. So we'll write down four, uh, four feet or four paws, write down uh, mammal, write down aquatic, and we lay those three cards out on the table. And I look at them, and I know what the master word is, and I say, okay. And then I take tokens, right, these little thumbs-up tokens, mm -hmm. and I put the number of tokens down at the end of the row of cards to indicate how many of those clues are on the right track. So in this case, my master word, for instance, is tiger right? And you've guessed four feet and mammal and aquatic. So I would put down two tokens at the end of the row of three cards. So you would see those two tokens there, but you don't know which two token, which right. two clues we're like looking at. Mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then you have to try to figure that out. And then the timer starts right away again, another 90 seconds. Okay, we've got 90 seconds now to, to, to talk and to try to figure this out. And then you put down three more clues and I put tokens there. And you have to try to make it so that your clues... Narrow it down to the word, yeah. Because exactly. exactly. you, you could lock into aquatic mammal and you could start going whale or whatever if you think that the pause is wrong. Mm -hmm. Then you've exactly. got to backtrack out. Yeah, and no, we yeah. have to find in seven rounds or less to win the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. those yeah, like, and it's funny too because like those are the games that, uh, like what Chris was saying, like, where, where you can kind of like even, <clears throat> I mean, Ticket to Ride's a little bit more involved in that. But I'm like, but it's still simple enough that I'm like, when you're talking about that like one or two page instruction booklet, because like you're like, it's after dinner, want to play a board game? Like that audience is different from the audience of come over to my house and play a board game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Set up by the time you get here because it will take me 45 minutes to set it up. And, a yeah, lot of, exactly. uh, and I will say a lot of these games all are always made more fun and more enjoyable when you have at least one guy who knows what he's fucking talking about. Yeah. Man or woman, excuse me. One person who knows what they're doing, knows the game, and knows how to explain it to the dumbest person sitting at the table so that the game can flow. Because otherwise, it's a yeah. long fucking night. Did you did I ever tell you about... Do you ever play Zombie Dice with Walter, Chris? You think I've ever played Zombie Dice with Walter, Keith? I don't know. Maybe I mean, used to... They messed around with it during the yeah. Illuminati night, right? I Christian was just surprised I brought up Ticket to Ride, so... Oh, yeah, zombie dice is a, it's a cute little game yeah exactly zombie dice no i've never played it yeah here's the deal Walter and the i are usually just yelling at each other i thought you'd be into it it's, it's got a cup and some dice you can play it in an alley Chris. i resent <laughs> that too keith we'll talk about it later um <laughs> but, uh, taking notes yeah so you shoot you shoot dice and it's, it's basically a push your luck thing if you you want to you want to stay on brains and you take if you take shotgun shots you you do it it's a, it's a dice game takes five minutes uh -huh. to play chris walter is playing it <laughs> he we explained the rules again and again to the point where he played it and then he was just sort of like he's like what do i win now and he's getting mad at us and we're like yeah, Walter, you actually literally have won the game. And he's like, this doesn't make any sense. And he's just getting Yeah, but he's a he's an angry gremlin. You can't you can't base 
human interaction that would be normal with anybody else off of how yeah. Walter reacts to things. The man yeah. sees the sun in the, the man sees the sun's rise in the morning and thinks it's gonna be a shitty day. <laughs> Great. Yeah, but, yeah. that, but it's funny that you touched on the um on the, the, the quick rules thing because that that's the, the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones that Christian founded Scorpion Masque on mm-hmm. is quick rules, right, Christian? Well, well, not on, because everyone, every publisher and every designer with, will tell you that this game is simple, quick, and fun. So we, I, I tried to add some mathematics to this. So our games, I enjoy very much that they can be taught in something like between 30 and 100 seconds. So maybe between... Uh, 30 seconds and two the minutes. engineer background. The engineer background is, is putting Maybe. math simple, <laughs> simple, quick and fun. Yes. So these games are really simple for real. So just, just because I found it simple. Because it's amazing. If you go on Board Game Geek and you, you browse the, f- the family games, you will find games with 12 pages of rules. It, that's not a family game. But the geeks themselves tend to overlook the complexity of the game they enjoy. And that's, that's a problem in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, again, I, we, we talked about it a little bit. Like, I've uh, been playing a lot of Root. And if you're just sort of like, Root's really simple. And you're like, yeah, but no, it's no. not. Not <laughs> like a 14 page rule book and like a 20 page uh law book, and then if you're playing with the bots, there's another 10 pages in there, and you have to have to know how everything adds up. Are the core mechanics simple? Yeah, uh, would I be able to introduce this to someone after dinner? No, like, like not, not at all. Like, after there, an there early is... brunch, though, you have enough time. Exactly. <laughs> But that's it. I think, I think one of the, I mean, you guys might know the numbers better, but like, I think one of the, the biggest. I think games that I that suddenly popped up and then was everywhere was code names and that 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 matched your your criteria right like you're like you can you just here's if you if you try to explain code names it will take you longer to explain it than it will to just show someone like you're like I'll just if I just lay out the cards and now here look I'm giving you a word you're like oh I got it if you try to explain if you like your your elevator pitch is longer than laying the cards out and showing someone how to play. It's one of those games that it's better not to explain it. Just lay down the 25 cards Mm -hmm. and say, eyes to which are the two words I want you to find. Mm -hmm. And then play. And you're like, oh, now I know how to play. Exactly. That's it. And, And as a result, I think that was one of the games where everybody... Almost anyone I think that we who we played it with was like a week later being like, oh, we got our own copy and like whatever else. Yeah. Because it makes that perfect like after dinner game. Yeah. Right. And, and I think uh, we talked about this before we started the show. Uh, my wife and I have been sadly playing a lot of two players games. Um, but I feel that in the pandemic, there's been a lot of people playing board games. And to you guys, when you were saying you, you developed games for kids that are fun for kids, but at least have maybe a little bit more mechanics than uh, something like Candyland or whatever. <laughs> you know, so if it's a little fun for the parents, too. Less. <laughs> you know, like if it's a little fun for the parents, too, this is like, uh, like Matthew, I think you were talking about like the first initial lockdown. All of a sudden, you're like, school's canceled. I have kids here. Uh, they're not allowed outdoors. Um, yeah. yeah, like uh, a family board game that isn't... Um, annoying to the parents is also no. i think like a money maker you know like it's very funny that you should say that keith oh. 
<laughs> so, Cassandra, well, you want to tell them about Zombie Kids? Well, I was so just what, about to ask about Zombie Kids because I looked it up oh. on the website. And awesome. first of all, uh, A plus to your graphics team. Uh, I would buy the game just on how the game looks. Um, <laughs> you know, but what? So, what is Zombie Teens? So, Zombie Kids and Zombie Teens right now are our locomotive bread and butter. Uh, Zombie Kids is a cooperative game for families, two to four players, and it plays in 10 to 15 minutes. You got to repel zombies to secure your school, your kids. And this is the base game. Now it is called Zombie Kids Evolution because from game to game, the rules will change. After each game, you put a certain number of stickers into your progress chart. And when you reach certain points, certain envelopes, you will open those sealed envelopes and add new stuff, new rules, new powers to your heroes, to your games. So for the, it, it will take you about 30 games to reach the last envelope. So what happened is that during confinement, well, families were looking for ways to entertain, and entertain themselves. But if you buy a board game, often the kids will play one, two, three, four, five times and then get bored. With mm -hmm. zombie kids, you always have something to discover and the kids are mad to learn what's in the next envelope. It is, so, like, it is like hard drugs for kids. They cannot get enough of this game, I'm telling you. It is you, you, tapped, you tapped into the into the, the, the card packs, right? Like it's the same thing as why you wanted to buy that baseball card pack and what's in it, it doesn't even matter. It just, you just want to know what's in it. Yep. What's in that envelope? We 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 add parents writing to us, telling us that their kids forfeited their video game time to play a board <laughs> game. Yep. Please <laughs> yep. realize <laughs> what this yeah. means. And it's like, yeah, we, we we need to play two more games to get that envelope open. And they play the two more games, they get the envelope open, and they're like, yes! Okay, we have to play one more game with the stuff from the envelope. Come on, come on. It's, yeah, you got new powers in the envelope. Come on. Like, that's, that's just... It's... So Amazing. Zombie Kids was released late in 2018 in French and early in 2019 in English, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And we produce something like we will reach two, uh, we will reach three hundred thousand copies sold very soon. Wow. And last year we released the standalone sequel, Zombie Teens, which has a super starts it's really amazing so it, with the same idea that this game is evolutive so you have another different board game uh cooperative still but this time instead of protecting your school you're trying to find a cure against the zombie disease mm. but you have new envelopes and new stuff to discover and, and you're very cool teens yeah, That's dope. and it's and it's amazing. And there's like a there's a there's um, like a comic strip in the rule book as well. So there's a little bit of a narrative story that develops as well. Mm -hmm. When you open up envelopes, sometimes you'll open up new panels for your comic strip that you stick in there to find out how the game is changing. And it's just, it's amazing. I, like I mean, I uh, I'm not a kid, and that sounds like it's a a fun like like just like you're like like 10, 10 to 15 yeah. minutes with a bit of a legacy uh, element to it i'm like sign yeah. me up no, <laughs> no, there, there are there are adults who have dug this game and like christian was saying eh? there's uh there are families who have said that uh, they bought themselves a second copy 
mm. so that they can play themselves while the kids go to bed. <laughs> the kids go to bed. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, this is doing really well for us, and and it's 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 a ton of fun. Chris, do we want to do we want to hit five five questions up here? Do you have any other questions for the guys? Um, mostly. Well, I want one last question. What What do you guys see as the next step for you guys? Your local company, obviously, it's a tough time with the pandemic and local business has been affected so hard. What's mm-hmm. the? I don't want to ask you for your five year plan, but what's like the next step you envision? for like the next level you guys want to take as a company? So right now we are expanding this Zombie Kids universe because it's doing really great and it's allowing us to do more. With the success of Zombie Kids, we knew we could um, spend more money, more time and more energy, energy on the sequel because we knew it would add at least some degree of success. And now we want to expand this to do other types of games. So this year we will release Turbo Kids, which will be a race game with completely different mechanism but in the universe of Zombie Kids. And we have plans for, we would like to do a role-playing game in this universe (laughs) and other cool stuff. So this is a universe that we want to expand and some characters come back from one to another. So it's creating kind of a universe of its own. That's, that's mm-hmm. one thing we want to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And we also have other games that aren't tied in with that, uh, with that <laughs> license as well. Uh, we've got a bunch of other things lined up. But I mean, it was a, it was a bad year for everyone uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, luckily for us, it didn't hurt us too, too badly. I think because of the, uh, because of the confinement, uh, lots of people were, uh, were picking up games to play with their families. So we're really lucky about that. But on the same token, you know, we're really... Um, you know, it's it's difficult with all the boutiques being closed, with all the with all the game stores being closed. You know, that's 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 our bread and butter. You know, like you can talk as much as you like about online sales and online stores and stuff, but you know, like like Cassandra said before, online shopping is very difficult, uh, different to shopping in a store. When you go online shopping, you know what you're getting, you know what you want. You walk into the store, excuse me, uh, you, you, you go online and you say that, okay, I'm looking for this game. Where can I find it? Here it is. I'll buy it. Whereas what, where's the cheapest place I can buy it online. So this is what you, this is how you shop online yeah exactly but walking into a game store is a totally different thing you walk in maybe with an idea of what you want but then you see five six seven twelve other options and then the guy uh, the guy on the store uh store floor comes up to and starts talking to you and starts suggesting things to you so we really really need that the game the board yeah. game industry really really needs the brick and mortar stores and that's why we're sort of crossing our fingers for all of our friends who own those kinds of stores in Montreal and Quebec and Canada uh, and over in France as well. Uh, it's been, it's been hard hit as well. We're crossing our fingers for them uh, that they can get through it because without them, the, uh, the industry uh, would really have a tough time moving forward. I would say the, the small independent publisher will have a harder time than the big, big companies because mm-hmm. uh, Online shopping will, uh, I'm sorry, I will say it in French. Okay. Ça va augmenter la différence entre les plus petits et les, yeah. plus, et les plus grands. The rich mm-hmm. will get richer. Yeah. And uh, because like Mathieu uh, said, online you will buy things that you already know. 
thing that are already big. So it's really hard for an independent one to get known. And mm -hmm. you will buy classics like Monopoly, Uno, and uh, Risk, or you will buy the thing that is really, really, really hot, that is buzzing like mad, but it's not for everyone. Not all publishers has one game like this. Mm -hmm. I, I would. I, uh, a friend of mine used to work at uh, Game Gamers Vault in Kosinduk, I want to mm -hmm. say, and oh, yeah. he and he used to um, he used to joke about being like, and they didn't even have like the biggest board game collection. They did a lot more of Warhammer and RPG and stuff. That's but right. he he used to joke about the the role of the board game being kind of one of the board game guys there. He was like, it's almost like being a sommelier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where he's like, because he's like, you go and, and especially, and that was like I said, they didn't even have the biggest collection of games. And if you look at some of the other places that have huge, like you're like wall to wall, it's the same thing as going into an SAQ. If you're like, I'm, if you're look, if you go into Cassandra's point and you're looking for one game, they're they're gonna have it. But if you go in and you say, well, I liked this and I liked that and I had fun with that, a really good like game store employee is gonna be able to go into those 500 games and pull you out two or three yeah. that might that might kind of fit what you're actually looking for. You don't know anything when you're looking at those games. To that point, it is a bit overwhelming to, like, to walk yeah. into a tour de jeu and see like 600 board mm -hmm. games and you have like... You're right, it, it is absolutely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing is you go on Facebook and you ask, hey, what's your favorite board game or what board game should I buy for my family? And people are not game sommelier and... <laughs> They improvise themselves specialists because they play a lot of games, but they do not understand what you need. They all want the, you to buy the same game that they enjoy. But when someone's asking for a quick filler to play in family and I see someone offering to buy Wingspan, which is an hour, an hour and a half game with 12 pages of rules, well, that's not a good suggestion. Please right. <laughs> go to a game, brick and mortar or grain store and ask someone who's a real specialist. Yeah, and it's a, it's an art though. Like, like I, I mean, I, uh, I've always been a board game fan, but I've gotten my wife into the hobby a little bit. And it was like determining what she enjoyed took, like we've been together... 13 years like took like a good five or six years before i knew or i had a good idea if i bought a game if it was going to be a game that she would also enjoy like i I, I've, I got pretty good at like figuring out what i would enjoy but just like what she would i'd like this i don't like this i like this i don't like this and it's like to be able to put her input in and then know in advance like mm -hmm. buying this game is something that she will like that that's a, like I said, it took me like years to do it. The fact that some of these guys working at the brick and mortar can probably give you a really good recommendation because they sit down and they play these games and they get other customer feedback and for sure they and can bring you value. You know? Yeah. It's like, and it's like, I was, I was thinking when, uh, uh, when, when Chris was talking about the games that, uh, that he's played and, you know, the kinds of experiences that he likes, I, I honestly and sincerely believe there's a game for everyone. You know, that even my brother-in-law, who isn't uh, a gamer at all, uh, doesn't, does, he's, he's, he's an investment banker, right? He, <laughs> but there are games out there that he will enjoy. We haven't found them yet, but there are games out there that uh, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, a game like uh, Chinatown, for instance, a game yeah. about uh, uh, betting and bidding and uh, negotiation and that sort of thing. But there's there there are games out there for absolutely everyone. Hold on, that's a real game. Yes, Chinatown. It's taking it down. 
Chinatown. Yeah. Betting, yeah, no, betting. I got got crypto. I got <laughs> decrypto. Decrypto. Yeah. Careful, you're gonna put all your money in Bitcoin. That's what's gonna happen. First but. of all, all my money is a laughable term. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna put all my money in board games. Uh, <laughs> At least you have something all, to show for you. I'll put all my money in that cup over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah, there's there's a game out there for everyone, and I think uh, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's just a question of you know trying things out, figuring out what you like, and uh, and and going forward like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. It's like the the guys, like the guys who are really into board games and work at the stores and are really making those recommendations. Like, I I I've played maybe like a sum total of like a hundred different board games. These guys have played like hundreds you know like like they're like even as an avid gamer i'm not touching how many games a lot of these guys have played at the stores just a few a few numbers in 2017 they were on the u.s board game market 3500 new SKUs. yeah so (laughs) new that's new releases yeah Yeah, exactly that's completely insane Yes, so I've played myself. I note the first time I play a new game, I I note it, and I reach I think a thousand and five hundred games, and that's that's nothing compared to what's being released. Yeah, but, exactly. at three thousand five hundred a year, <laughs> you know, you're you you've got some catching up to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I I've, that's it. That's that's cool, Christian. I should uh, I should think about doing that as well. I haven't done that. Noting down the games that I've played. At least once, because I own 300 games uh, in my house. My girlfriend uh, has a tough time. I was like, she's still with you. That's yeah, she is. <laughs> I, yeah. I have to rut- routinely. I, I have a I have a finite amount of space for games. We, we all do, bud. That, we all that, do. That, that closet that's back there, but that's it. But if I need more and those shelves are full, uh, like that, that means like people are getting gifted games and stuff. Like that's it. Like, like I know we all have a finite space, but I have a physically limited finite amount of space that okay. I need to get new games so before my the- wife will allow new ones to come into the house. You gotta do the purge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's it. Figure figure out. Okay, well, I'm gonna put these ones in a box and maybe bring these ones up to the cottage and then give this one away and vice versa. Now I have some shelf space. I can buy new ones. <laughs> Because yeah. she's like, no, you can, you can have as many as you want as long as they're contained on these three shelves. That's what you yeah. get. No, every every now and then we have the the moment where it's like, I I'm, je suis envahi, je suis envahi. I'm, I'm completely overwhelmed. There's too many games. <clears throat> and that's the, I think that's like we're, we're just gonna going to wrap it up with our, our five question segment at the end here. But that, that's one of the things I feel that is like a true um, like not not mark but it's like a, a value of a of a good board game though is that even if you haven't played it in 10 years if it was good and it was fun you don't want to get rid of it because you're like it will be good and fun when i take it back out again it's not like a video game or whatever where the graphics don't hold up and maybe like yeah. <laughs> like whatever you're like if there was a mechanic and it was a lot of fun it can be in your closet for 10 years and when you bring it out it was as fun as it was like when you put it away so you never mm-hmm. want to get rid of them yeah <laughs> And and I'm also I I'm I'm also very kind of uh, nostalgic about those sorts of things. Like I also have a big sort of book collection, mm-hmm. and most of the books I've only ever read once. But whenever I look at those books and take them off the shelf or whatever, I I, I remember the moments that I was 
that I spent reading that book, you know, mm-hmm. where I read it, what I was doing, what was interesting and going on in my life. And I feel that way about board games as well. Some games I haven't played for a long time, but whenever I look at them on my shelf, every now and then I have some memories of, uh, of good time spent with friends and stuff. And uh, that uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a nice uh, artifact in a way. I agree. I, 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 yeah, I have a couple, like I said, some of that, some of those old Steve Jackson ones, like there's a copy of Illuminati sitting in the, in that closet that has not been touched in probably coming up on 20 years. <laughs> like, like, you're like come but that game is not going anywhere. <laughs> no, no, exactly. That's it. I was just sort of like, and, and it's the second copy that I've owned because the first one got so dog-eared that the cards would have like tells. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like you're like oh that that bend down that card is that card and like we, we got <laughs> we got too good at identifying the way that the cards were like banged up oh. that we knew it was in other people's hands for certain cards so we're like no we need to get another copy of it not because we lost the old one but because like the first one was so banged up that mm-hmm. you had tells on the cards that's so. great five question time chris yeah yeah, so we close off. Do you want to introduce the bit? I know you like to take a shit on it before we introduce it. I'm just not taking a shit. I'm saying it's a really original and groundbreaking idea that nobody uh-huh. else is doing. We end our podcast cool. by asking our guests questions. I know you could build yep. a game off this. Um, <laughs> forward thinkers over here. Uh, question number one. Sorry, uh, you didn't even introduce. So, I'm still it's trying to get same, my head around this concept. It's the same three questions to every guest. Oh yes, okay. this is where we differ. We have three questions, <laughs> always the same, and then the fourth then, question the fourth... here. Watch this. The fourth question is going to shock you. Comes from our previous guest, right? <laughs> right? Right? And then the fifth question. The fifth question you guys come up with. Fucking yeah. million dollar idea, right the there. Next, yes. Exactly. Yeah, without the, no, next the next guest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you guys like put like a team together for that one? This is off the hook. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, go Keith loves the segment. Twenty twenty one. Go plug yourself. Board game. <laughs> a go plug yourself. Board game. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Does it come with a commemorative Just... edition of your gloves? Um... Yes. <laughs> you also All get right. a limited, um, like you get a limited edition Walter. Yeah. Uh, what do your, one, what do your sounds yeah what do your thoughts sound like <laughs> yeah, this is for both you question. to answer question, yeah, yeah what, what do, do your th- thoughts sound like sound like so is it uh is it a um like a monologue is it do you think in images do you think in music do you think in like pictures and sounds like words because i'm a guy of words so uh and sometimes a religious words oh <laughs> you think uh, i'm assuming i don't want i don't want to be too presumptuous but do you, you do your brain processes it in french most of the time yeah. or yeah. so what what is really really disturbing is that sometimes i go in conventions in fair let's say in europe in germany or uh, in the united states so for three, four, five days, I speak only English. And then at some point, I start to dream in English, which okay. is really disturbing to dream <laughs> in another language than your own. <laughs> so it can it can happen. I, I, I can see that. Like uh, even just if I'm working, at, uh, if I'm working with a team that's a lot French, like my brain will start to be like, you could save some time if you just start thinking in French, you know, mm-hmm. like, like just to start, stop translating everything that's happening and just 
try to skip the middleman and start thinking in French. I can, but then if you're dreams, I don't think I've ever dreamt in French yet, though. So. Try it. <laughs> Give it a shot. I'm gonna go to bed tonight. Be like, dream in French. Dream in French. Yeah, and I think I think my thoughts are uh, are 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 a kind of monologue as well. Um, you know, uh, specifically about games and game design. It's it's a it's a monologue. It's me talking things through in my mind, but then also uh, with feelings, like the kind of feeling that I would like to get out of a game that I'm, you know, that I'm trying to develop, that I'm trying to uh, come up with the sorts of the sorts of emotions that I want uh, players to have with an idea of mine. So uh, yeah, it's 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 mostly words, but a uh, little little bit of emotion in there as well. Key question, question number two. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what were your favorite, or what was your favorite thing to eat as a kid? And kid is kind of subjective. A teenager can count if you had a favorite meal, but it could be a meal, a snack, a dessert, something that would just like stuck out to you as a favorite. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you mine. Um, and uh, this is this is a little bit off the beaten track, but it's literally the first thing that jumped into my mind. Um, I, like I used to love lasagna. My uh, my folks used to make a really really good lasagna but the one thing that really jumps out of my mind and i think it's because i haven't had it in a long time was my mom used to make uh like the sunday roast you know every every week or every couple of weeks we'd have like the roast beef sunday dinner and mm. you would make yorkshire pudding oh man yeah and that uh, i haven't had that in a long long time but the yorkshire pudding with the roast beef with the jus just like that was you're you're literally describing one of the dishes that was at my wedding for for similar reasons really eh? <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> that's great oh yeah the yorkshire pudding is just uh yeah off the hook oh man i i kind of regret thinking about that now because i <laughs> <laughs> so and, and the worst is that it's like so hard to justify doing a roast now even if you had had one and was ready you're like oh, i'm gonna have a roast and then eat it for the next yeah, two weeks exactly. and then like go through all the, oh, i have to make a yorkshire pudding now oh god <laughs> same same question well so a little bit of context i so i didn't enjoy i didn't like food when i was young so okay. my mom uh, brought me to a psychologist to see what was wrong with me because I didn't like anything she were cooking. And she was, she, my mother is still a very good cook. So I would say as a kid, I would probably enjoy the most hot dogs. <laughs> like plain hot and dogs? Five years of boarding school helped me to solve this problem. When it's your fifth day at the school and it, the cafeteria was horrible it was a nightmare catastrophe <laughs> so when you did not eat for four days well you you eat whatever is in your plate on the fifth day so five years of boarding schools deals with all problems of if your kids don't, do not like what you're cooking picky eaters yeah oh my god one of one of my wife's cousins is she's she's brought into her palate recently in her 30s but like when we started dating she would literally eat like hot dogs spaghetti and pizza like and it was like and sa and a salad like that was and sometimes like a, like and it was like that was it she would just be like oh you have people over for dinner or whatever and then she'd make a little thing of pasta on the side for herself and you'd be like what is happening like oh, why is there another meal there oh because she only eats four things you know <laughs> i can't get my head around that oh my god 
It's craziness. <laughs> Question three. Yes, Question. I had Yorkshire pudding at my wedding, uh, Chris. That was a question for you personally. Like, I want to yes, ask you about that. Like, like, like Sarah allowed that, but you know, it's neither here nor there. Uh, Yorkshire pudding okay. is also a great answer. What'd you say? <laughs> I said she allowed it. <laughs> I don't know. Italians, Italians are like this. What do you want me to tell you? What's the best or worst thing about growing up? Best or worst thing about growing up? The best thing about growing up for me was me and my buddy Joe playing playing board games. Uh, we used to play chess. We played Risk. We played Axis and Allies uh, for hours. And then going out and playing road hockey, right? Just me and him taking shots on each other with his little brother until his little brother lost his shit because we were pushing around <laughs> too much and then uh yeah just taking shots on each other and like running around and then like okay sick of this dropping our sticks going back inside playing like two more two more hours of axis and allies having dinner given to us sitting eating dinner talking about our strategies and then getting back out there shooting some more shooting some more tennis balls and then, you know, going back in and, and finishing off the evening with some chess or something like that. For me, those are my best memories. Mixing up the board games with the the, the physical activity of uh, of of, uh, of playing road hockey and that kind of thing. And the worst thing about growing up, uh, worst thing about growing up, and this is a little bit more profound, I guess, for me was just the the fucking shit show of being a teenager and mm. how. <laughs> how much that just in a lot of ways messed up my relationship with my family just because I was all over the place. But I'm happy to say that it never fucked things up so badly that I didn't come back to mm -hmm. my folks and my sisters and stuff. And I, I'm very, I'm very grateful about that. But I just look back at those times as being just so tumultuous and just so much going on that was just, with school and with life and with, with friends and girls and my family, my parents and like, Oh my God, just everything was so difficult and fraught. And, and the worst, I don't know if you guys have, if you've had this, this similar, I was not the best uh, teenager in the world, but if you've had a similar thing now that, now that you're older, when you like, <laughs> again, one of my wife's cousins, I feel bad. It's a different <laughs> cousin though. Like, <laughs> She was like, oh, like he's like she like she did she actively did not like this cousin. And then like a couple of years ago, she's like, oh, he's like he's not as bad. And I was like, do you know that like the whole stretch of time where you didn't like that that kid, he was a teenager, right? Like you're describing him as like he's a teen, literally aged like fourteen to nineteen, and now he's like twenty two. And you're like, he's not so bad. I'm like, yeah, because being from fourteen to nineteen is awful for everybody. <laughs> like you can't you can't say that this guy was a jerk when he was a teenager. Cause we all were, you know, or like, the, or yeah. if you're gonna be a jerk, that's the time frame. You're like, now that he's like 21, 22, you're like, oh yeah, this this kid turned out all right, you know. <laughs> and as an adult, you just have to see through the behaviors to the person behind the behaviors. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Just realize, oh, this is a teenager thing. Like this is this yeah. a four or five year stretch where he's nobody's thinking straight. Like it's. <laughs> so uh, you're. you're, you're Yes, I have a similar answer to Matthew. Um, best thing about growing up maybe is now realizing that I'm 41 
and I'm still playing games with my old friend Alex, who I met at, at this boarding school when we were 12, That's and amazing. we met playing Dungeons and Dragons, and almost 30 years later, we still play games, and now we drink beer on top of it. Upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still uh, saying silly things and that's that's something that i found almost moving because it's it's a very deep friendship so uh this is really cool um the worst thing about growing up is really simple for me is that i was not growing up when i was young so in uh high school secondaire 3 yeah. when you're 14 years old so in secondaire 3 i was still shorter than five feet <laughs> when the guy in my classroom were up to six feet two inches oh in secondaire two, I'll give you another very precise information. <laughs> there was only one guy in my school that was shorter than me in grade one in secondaire one. So one year younger than me from all the guys in the school, there were only one shorter than me so the worst thing about growing up for me was that i was not growing up <laughs> i i can i i can relate i wasn't under five foot but i was like five two five three for most of high school uh and then i grew a little bit and then what happened for the 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 worst part of growing up was i graduated high school at about five six mm-hmm Uh, I moved out of my parents' house when I was uh, 17. And part of the deal was, okay, you're a 17-year-old, you're moving out, you're a bit of an idiot, you have to pay your own bills. And then I had a, like a, a two-inch growth spurt. Right. <laughs> so I, I moved out of my house and then suddenly didn't fit my clothes and had like a part-time job and had to buy my own clothes that I no longer fit because like my pants were like too high on my ankles and stuff and i was like i literally don't fit my clothes anymore i wasn't expecting a growth spurt between age 17 and 18 like mm. of two or three inches it came way late and then leveled off i'm not that i'm extremely tall now but it was still like i was like well i'm gonna be this height forever and then all of a sudden being on your own paying your own bills and now needing to buy like all new pants and shirts because you had a growth spurt between <laughs> age 17 and 18 was, oh, was the worst It's crazy. I did not have the money. People are like, you, you can't, you're wearing like, your pants are too short. I'm like, yeah, I don't have money for pants, guys. Like, <laughs> like, I have a part-time job and I'm in college. Like, oh uh, Question number four uh, comes from uh, one of the good people who has brought back uh, the Montreal Improv Theater. They're currently brought it back online. They're going to have a physical space uh, when it is safe to do so. Vance Gillis. Uh, he wants to know uh, what is the best and worst vegetable? That's awesome. Vance is a friend of mine. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Vance. Hey, Vance. Awesome. <laughs> Little did you know that Vance was going to be asking you a question tonight. Yeah, he knows. He knows I hate that question, man. <laughs> What a Fucking Vance. <laughs> Busting my chops from the past. Um, the best and worst vegetable. Mm -hmm. Like simultaneously? Mm. Uh, unclear. Ines showed off and answered with the same vegetable. I switched it up. So, I could show off and answer with the same vegetable. Too. I, know, I know, I know. So the best and worst at the same time is artichoke. Oh, that's a good answer. Oh, artichoke is a good answer. Is there zucchini. too much work for how good it is? But it's really good. But is it too much work? It's to... a lot of work. Yeah. So I think it's 
both at the same time. Yeah, it's like the lobster of the vegetable world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the uh, Edward Prince Island. Prince, yeah, Prince Edward Island, yeah. yeah. So is it is it as beautiful as it is far from Montreal? Or is it far <laughs> as beautiful? I ask the question. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that's it. You're like, and then if you get there, you have to pretend like it's really beautiful because you're all the way out there. And if you if it's yeah. not beautiful, then you just wasted your time. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, I just drove to this tiny island for no reason. No, I'm going to say it's beautiful. Then, then you go to uh, Les Îles de la Madeleine. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, Matthew, same question. Oh, man. Uh, the best and worst vegetable. Okay, well, I'm going to give you the worst vegetable. Um, it's it's got to be a rutabaga. Because okay. what the fuck? You know, like, seriously? Is, is, it, is that a thing? I mean, wh what is it? It's like, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a turnip. It's not a turnip. It's not a parsnip. It's like some people are, and it's not even defined. Some people are like, yeah, people call it a rutabaga, but it's not. It's like a, it's like this, it's a, you know, you go to the. It's just confusing. It's like it's like a it's like a vegetable with an identity crisis that I don't want to be a part of. Yeah, I think you basically always want at least like if you're thinking you want a rutabaga, you probably want a turnip. Yeah, or vice versa, <laughs> and you'd never know. You know, and uh, best best. Oh, best vegetable. I'd have to say the best vegetable would would have to be. Uh, oh Jesus, this is a this is a tough one. Um. You know, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go with broccoli because, you know, it's uh, it's you, you buy. You can eat it raw. It's not terrible raw. You 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 put it into stir fries and stuff. It's gets that nice bright green color. Yeah, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta love the broccoli. You know, Chris, what's what's your answer by the way, buddy? Like, what's your what's your best worst? Same time. I think I think I have a, an Inez show off answer, and that's and that's yeah. to go with zucchini. Okay. Because in one in the one hand zucchini could do so many different things, but on the other hand zucchini could ruin in a lot of dishes. So yeah, it's a lot of water bush. content, a lot of water content in zucchini. Yeah, people don't account for the water content anymore. <laughs> and uh, and the close things off is what I have a I have a four B question. Or either you got four B. The four A was the food one from Vin mm -hmm. from, from, from Gillis Vance. there. Vance, mm -hmm. excuse me, mm -hmm. Vince. It's so hard not to say Vince Gillis. Um. Are either you guys uh, football fans, and will you be watching the Super Bowl on Sunday? Uh, and no to the two answers. To the no two, to questions. two answers. No. no. The Super Bowl is on Sunday. Okay, yeah, answers the question. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you uh, what. I like to bring a little sports a content to go plug yourself, you know? Oh, uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> we can, we, we talked about hockey. We can go into hockey. That's yeah, it. The they Habs just, just talked to Vancouver <laughs> while we were talking. So I, I, we could talk about hockey or ultimate frisbee. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, drop off after the first one. <laughs> Sam was a very competitive uh, ultimate uh, frisbee player. Oh wow! Yeah, I I knew that was a thing, but I never found someone who was a competitive ultimate frisbee player. Maybe that can be a podcast down the road. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so flip, flipping the flipping the script over onto our next guest, who we don't know who it's going to be. Uh, so you have to ask a question out into space uh, without knowing who you're going to be asking it to. So what question would you like to ask our guest? So I, I think I have one. Okay. okay. If weeks would have 10 days, 
would still would you still uh, est-ce que tu ferais ton ménage would still qu'est-ce qu'on comment do, do you clean up like would you do clean up every seven days okay would you still clean up every seven days if weeks would be ten days if weeks were ten days would you still clean up every seven but I mean like you only clean up every seven yeah I was about <laughs> to say I was like I'm cleaning too much. Yeah, day, day six is like. <laughs> so I have, I have a lot of questions about that. Okay. <laughs> We have an entire podcast with the follow-ups. Peut-être c'est un problème de traduction. Lost in translation. Je ne sais pas si c'est ça, mais est-ce que la semaine de travail est encore cinq jours ou non? Non, 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 c'est... C'est parce que les gens font leur ménage, soit, soit ils passent l'aspirateur partout ou ils engagent une femme de ménage qui vient une fois par semaine, donc aux sept jours. Okay. Maintenant, si la, parce que les contrats, c'est toujours, tu viens à toutes les semaines, tous les vendredis. Okay, okay, okay. Mais si la semaine, elle faisait dix jours, est-ce que tu ferais ton ménage encore aux sept jours ou tu le ferais une fois par semaine aux dix jours? Tu, tu, tu passerais l'aspirateur, tu ferais l'époustage. Hmm. And again, I feel that it depends on if you have weekends or not. Because I feel, I feel that like if you don't have a cleaning person, you just say, okay, yeah, I do it on the weekend. But if you only have one weekend, you probably end up every 10 days. Like if your work week is now eight days and you only have two days off, you're probably only cleaning every 10 days. And if you're single or not, if you're a guy, because I'd be, oh, yeah. I'd be living in my filth for, you know, 20, 30 days on a, in a row, you know. <laughs> But that's it. Yeah, no. It, but if the work week, if it was like, if they did it like, what 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 separates well? well let's say you have 10 day weeks and you have three day weekends because it's a little bit longer. But will you still do your cleanup once every week? So once every 10 days? I think you do. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you still do it only once a week and I feel your house gets a little dirtier. Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris, I'd like to hear, hear your uh, your thoughts on the uh, on the question. Uh, I'm Italian. Uh, if we have to clean every moment we're awake, otherwise we're just doing dishonoring to gods. Um, but does this, thing, does this include taking the plastic off your furniture or not? No, no. See, plastic's overrated. We left that in the '90s. New thing, new thing. What? Cleaning What? the four coffee machines you have. That's the new thing. <laughs> You yeah, clean the Keurig. That, you gotta clean the Keurig. You gotta clean the perk. You gotta clean the espresso, and you gotta clean the backup espresso just in case. Uh, you never know who's gonna come over. So, I, uh, I used if the dishwasher's not emptied every day, Matthew, if the dishwasher's not emptied every day, well, you're going to hell, and yeah, I, I you're a failure, and you've done nothing in life. So, I agree. I agree with that. I can't. I literally can't go to sleep without with dishes in the sink. Yeah, with the, yeah. You're insulting yeah, your ancestors. It's kind of a Japanese Italian. Oh, thing. Sarah's big on the dishes in the sink. Sarah doesn't care. Sarah, oh, like Sarah can go to sleep with the dishes in the sink. I'm, I'm. That's 100 me. Like even, even as when I was like a bachelor and the roommate, whatever. I hate having dishes sitting in the sink overnight. Just What do you think happens in the sink? You think they grow out of their dishes? Yeah. No, it's just like it's it's just the something I don't want to see in the morning. Like I'm not a morning person anyway. Like and and just like I hate to wake up and be in a grumpy, shitty mood in the morning and then also see a mess. Yeah, because like, then you gotta I take really your gloves off that. and you gotta fucking clean the dishes. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Walked right it. into that one. Well, I, I, used to, I, I used to 
I used to meet up in St. Leonard, eh, uh, Chris? I used to, I, I taught up there for a number of years. I got uh, the full Italian experience up there. So, uh, what school? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I taught it to both of them. I taught it to John Paul and I yeah. taught it to Elmac. Oh, buddy. Laurie McDonald. Yeah. I've done shows at both. And let me tell you, um, happy you got out. <laughs> me, me, I go to Laurier. Me, I smoke the Laurier. Bro, bro, let me tell you, bro. I play board games, bro. Okay, I play board games. I have this one game. It's called Forza Azuri 2006, and we recreate, bro. We recreate the World Cup. Oh Who do God. I talk yeah, to? What I, what I was teaching there was, uh, you know, Gio- Giovanni, did you do your homework? Ah, oh, me, sir. Times are tough. Times are tough. <laughs> you know what can I say? Okay, Giovanni, I'm times are cool, going to be a lot tougher for you, bro. <laughs> uh, on, that, on that note, you guys, let me shout out to the three. Shout out to all the graduates of Laurie McDonald. Yeah, there we go. Actually, uh, stick around for a minute to make sure we get the the files uploaded properly. But yeah. <laughs> Hey there, loyal listener who listens to the show all the way past the closing credits. Um, Thank you for listening to Go Plug Yourself. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, If you enjoy the show, I cannot stress this enough. Please tell people about it. We don't really have a budget for marketing or fancy Facebook ads or putting up billboards on the street. Uh, We really have to rely on word of mouth, which uh, basically means that if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, Please uh, share it, link it, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, there's this show called Go Plug Yourself. They talk to Montrealers or people that have stuff going on in Montreal or uh, just p- people that have stuff to uh, promote that we kind of care about. We can we can go outside of Montreal if we want to. Um, yeah, so just tell tell people about the show. It's a, it's a fun show. We, we like doing it a lot. We've done it for over 200 episodes, and it's in large part thanks to support from uh, people like you. Um, if you want to support the show at all, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash 9to5cc and uh, throw a couple bucks our way. It really helps with uh, the hosting fees for the most part. We're really not trying to make a profit on this. Um, and also, if you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who might uh, want to be a guest on the show, you can uh, contact us either on Facebook or on Twitter. There's a bunch of ways to find us uh, and uh, and let us know. And if the scheduling and the timing and everything works out, maybe you can be the next person who uh, comes on the show and uh, plugs something. Uh, big thank you, as always to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude who provided our theme songs and of course a thank you to uh, all of the hosts that we have on the show uh, Walter J. Ling who is technically retired but still sometimes hosts uh, Christopher Vendito, Lawrence Korber and uh, Ines Anaya uh, all, are all amazing co-hosts and you should support them and their comedy and uh, and all of that. Uh, thank you for listening thank you for choosing Go Plug Yourself uh, as one of your from the millions of podcasts and have a beautiful day Thank you. 9to5.cc. Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.